Good morning and welcome to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. This is a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their choices and consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. This week's show on Stay in the Loop with Lucy is the second in the current series on post-traumatic stress disorder in the police service. This week I have an interview with Ray Karam, who was a country boy who started his police career as an officer in Sydney City and then Redfern before returning to his country town in northern New South Wales. Let's be honest. How many jobs ask us to put our lives on the line every day in the name of service? How many times do we put on a uniform that makes us a target for attack? How many of us have no idea what the next phone call or the call out will be? And if it will mean that we are no longer able to do our jobs because we cannot forget what we have seen, felt, witnessed or experienced. Vicarious trauma is an area we have underestimated. Consider having to hear testimonies again and again and again in graphic detail in order to bring a prosecution as Simon Gillard, our guest from last week, shared. As you will hear in this week's interview, cumulative trauma is something that we equally have underestimated and something organisations are having to address with some urgency now. And post-traumatic stress doesn't just affect those in the service, it affects families too, and many of the support sites are looking at ways to support families of those affected by post-traumatic stress disorder. Both Simon and, as you will hear from Ray, both men started out as boys who were so excited to join the police force, so proud to be supporting and helping others. I live in a small country town uh, in New South, northern New South Wales in Casino, so it's about 10,500 people. Um, and a, a tight-knit community, you could say, but what I remember significantly growing up was um, not many people ran back then. Like, you wouldn't see many people exercising, but one man that would exercise would be the local, I'd see, always see the local police officer running. Um, he'd run past our house, and he's a fairly big, for me then, he's a, he's a big man. Um, and, and when I saw him moving past their house, running past their house, um, I, I don't know, just like I, I was drawn to have a respect for him. And, and that was straight away. And I would have been only probably, I reckon I would have been six, six or seven. And I remember watching him a lot. Um, and it wasn't anything in particular he did, but there was something he held in the way he was that, that I could see that you know, people respected. Uh, and I, I really had a sense of, of of something else when I saw him. I didn't know what it was at that time. I didn't know what what it meant to be in the police, obviously being that young. But I knew that there was something about him and the way he was that 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 I felt was 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 something I I, I don't know not in, was inspired to be, but more or less that something that that I could feel was inside me as well. I went, there's something about him, um, even that young. And then when I was about probably double that age, when I was about 11 or 12, I had um, – there was a, an incident around my family where a, a police officer had to come and speak to me, not that I'd done anything wrong, but just about a, a, something that had happened, like an interview sort of thing. Um, I had to go to the police station. 
um, in Casino also and, and coming out of there, look, the way this police officer, again, another man, but the way he spoke to me um, and the way he was with me, I walked out of there. I, I didn't feel like I was a naughty boy. I didn't feel like I'd done anything wrong, but I felt like I was cared for, like I felt like he genuinely wanted to get to the bottom of whatever it was and that I was a big part of that. And in the way, even though I was young, my mum my was with me, um, he took a lot of time and, and took a lot of uh, a lot of care. He's like he wanted to protect me. And, and when I felt that, I went, I walked out of there and my mum will say, she told me the story back, she said, after you left that that virtual interaction, you wanted to be in the police. And, and I don't remember that as a memory to go, yeah, that was right, I said that as I came out. But I definitely remember those two points where I've, I've spoken to or police had spoken to me or I'd seen police um, in off-duty off and on-duty where I, I went, I got a real sense of, wow, that's something I love to do. And it wasn't until probably I was maybe 15 or 16 I started to gravitate my my schooling towards I'm going to join the police. I didn't think it had actually ever happened, to be honest, at that time. I thought this is something I'm going to do. It would probably never come about. Um, but this is something I'm going to do. And then oh, obviously uh, now, knowing now around you know, 19 I was accepted into the police. So I went down to Goulburn for the, for the training um, and then we were posted. There was only 70 in our class, 78 but from memory. So we were a small class and we were in the, that was the early 90s and in that time there was a, there was a shortage of, of police but there was a shortage of, of money into the police. And so I think there was a over a two-year period, there's only like 120 police recruited, and I was set, I was one of those 120 over those couple of years, and so we went straight to Sydney. So I went, I went into to uh, city city of Sydney, it was called then, which is city central, um, and straight into general duties. Yeah, straight into um, you know your first shift was an orientation, uh, your second shift was on the truck. I think I did night work um, straight up, so it was a no afternoon shift. So I went straight into an afternoon shift. So a three from memory, it was a three to eleven. Uh, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. shift uh, in the heart of in the heart of Sydney. hadn't been on the. You know, my experience was I did a month up here in Lismore, um, up in the north coast. I, I still still live up up this area, um, and yeah, I went straight to straight to Sydney. So it was a it was straight into general duty, straight into the city, and it was a it was a huge, you know, that was a huge ladder to climb. It was a it was a uh, you know one being in in the police, you know, um, and you got some advice from the academy. You should. You should wear your uniform when you're on public transport. You should do this. This is how it should be. And so, I was living out at Parramatta at the time with my with uh, extended family. And um, yeah, so I jumped the train first day and rode the train to in the city central in, in full uniform. I, I'm I'm a bit stunned because I could just imagine that now. Um, that that would put you at I would have thought put you in danger. Yeah, huge amount of danger. Like knowing what I know now, but even you know, after the first few weeks, the guys were saying, "Not a good idea." Um, you know, we've, there's a policy. You know, there's a single unit policing uh, um, policy that came out, and there was a whole lot of, and that was only you know probably in the last ten years that poor, maybe longer that policy came out. But it was this is a certain situations where we can use single unit policing, but virtually from the academy, you know, their advice was, you know, if you're going to ride public transport, you're in full uniform, but you've got no. One, no one knows where you are. And two, that was before mobile phones. So there was no, you didn't have a mobile phone. And so you were jumping a train, a boy from Casino jumping a train from Parramatta to, or Granville to, into city, uh, into the city. 
uh, virtually on his own, not even knowing locations where he is, yeah. public transport, nothing. And so it was it was a huge, huge flaw in advice, but that's what they said was you, know, you needed to do. So that's what we did. Yeah. Um, so I, I imagine there was, you were a little bit green and enthusiastic and actually proud to wear your uniform as well. Cause... Exactly. Like there was, you, you were proud to wear it and you thought that that gave you, like a, I guess in Casino, I had a, a, a picture that gave me some sort of protection or respect. Do you know what I mean? I thought, oh, no, no. Yeah. No, hassle a police officer. Like, you know, he, they know he's out to do, you know, he's, he's there to support them, he's not there to help them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you, you probably won't. Nothing will happen like that, and it didn't. You know, there wasn't a there wasn't a sense, as you said, that greenness was there, that naivety um, was there, and 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 you didn't, you weren't fully aware of what what it was and how people actually saw that uniform because you know a lot of people didn't see Ray Karam because they didn't know you from a bar of soap. They wouldn't have seen me. They wouldn't have known my history. They wouldn't have known the type of man I am. Um, at that time, you know, a young adult I was. And so they would have just seen, well, you know, I just they just see blue, but they'd really probably see red, some of them. But yeah. do you know what I mean? They just see a perception of something, and and yeah, it's not personal to you. I wouldn't have said. And how did you? Um, so flash forward a couple of months, um, general duties. You are called to everything and anything. You don't know what you're going to be called out to. How do you cope with that hyper state of vigilance? It, as we said, you, you, you can't prepare. You, you can never prepare. I remember, like, I, I was blessed enough to have a few retired police around me in Casino that I'd, I'd spend time before I joined speaking to because I wanted to get a sense of, I wanted to know more. Like, a, there was, joining the police wasn't just a thing I did to get people off my back or it's just a job there was a real sense of, of, of something grand in what, that step. I, I really wanted to, if I was going to do it, I wanted to take care of people. There was a, a real sense of that. And so talking to those men and women, I got a sense of what it would be like. And so I went, oh, okay, that's what it would be like. But it was always that's what it would be like whether it's further down the track. Do you know what I mean? It's always something in the future. It's not a, a thing you go, okay, tomorrow I'm going to walk in, this is – actually what it's going to be like it was like a, a more of a movie thing and so to be to be on set but not on set to be in real life and walking around in the city in the city center and, and driving around in there it, it's very even when things happen like you get to about 11 o'clock you throw alcohol in the mix and 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 there was just volatile situations that would blow up it'd be two people you get there and then the police would come in and draw more people it was like moths to the light you know as soon as the police are there, you get a couple of police cars there. If the lights are flashing, everyone just gravitates to it, and all of a sudden, they want to, everyone wants to cause trouble. And so you, you have many instances in there where you, you'd have to throw more police at it because everyone just come to have a look, and then some of them would jump in, and it, it was just it, it end up being some of those instances end up being chaotic. Um, and I remember, I remember one. I think I wrote about it. It was, it was, it was early on. I was like on day four or something, I think, or five, I was in the pool, actually on the street that, you know, we're driving up a street and I look to my left and here's a couple of guys smashing a window, not that far, probably, you know, only 500 metres from the actual police station, up streets though, up blocks, so you couldn't actually see it, obviously, but they're smashing into this Telstra shop and call my partner, jump out and start chasing a guy, 
still didn't really know how to use the portable radio, so I've got a portable radio on me. I don't know what to say, so I'm just running after this guy, and I know how to chase a guy, so I'm just chasing him. And running through, end up in a cafe, running through the back into the kitchen, you know, past the chefs, you know, food, everything like that, out the back door, into the alley, over fences, and I'm running, chasing this guy, not knowing where I'm going or what I'm doing, but I'm definitely going to catch him. What I'm going to do when I get him, I don't know, but I'm going to catch him. And so I caught him, obviously got him to the ground, handcuffed him, and then went, okay, where am I? I no idea where I am. And so I would walk him back up the street, and then you know, my partner, she's in, she's in a panic because she doesn't know where I am. Everyone's then looking for me because I've run off, um, and I could hear on the radio, but I didn't know what to say. And so then I just walk him back up to the main street and wait for them to come and pick me up. Um, and that was, you know, that... To, to, see, to see that and to go back to the station and you're doing all the process, it's not until afterwards you walk out and you go, what what just happened? Even when I tell a story, I go, that sounds like, you know, most people's movies, well, it's, it was like being in that. It's like you're doing it real, but you think it's not real, but then you you sort of, afterwards you process it and you go, and then, as you got old, older and experienced in the police, you go, so many things could have gone wrong then, like mm-hmm. so many things. And it was just blessing that, that, that it turned out like it did, that I was at that time fairly, well, still am fairly fit. Um, so, uh, you know, I, was, I, was, I guess you could say fortunate um, in that way. Were you offered supervision? Were you offered a debrief um, in those days? In, the, in those days, no. And so supervision was I had, the, I had a, um, I was, I was a call back then, it would have been a, it's called a field training officer um, when I was in the police. I'm not sure what it was called back then, but it was like a you know, someone that, that mentored you. And so she was my first, that was my first partner. She had me for the first three months from memory. Um, and, you know, she'd, she'd teach me, um, she was meant to teach me on, on the ground of what, um, what went on. But, I mean, it wasn't as if they sat you down for the first four days and went, you know what, if someone's smashing a window and you chase them, You've got to do the. Do you know what I mean it's, it's impossible? The police is so so diverse. There's so many situations you can find yourself in that goes so that they don't follow a script, and so it, it's virtually they could give you a framework of you know you had officer survival, you had you know your skills of, of, of um, com, you know combat, but how to arrest people and take them down. You had all that sort of you know laws. You had all that sort of learning, but the practical application when things moved so flexibly was down to your discretion it was down to to how you'd been sort of not necessarily brought up i guess but you had to call on your experience as a as a as a young man to go you know where do where do i see this fitting what do i do next and and i feel like a lot of the a lot of the police training sort of tried to flesh that out where it got to think you to think on your toes a little bit It, it got you to think outside of you know, instead of having two plus two equals four on a page, you'd have it in amongst, you know, jumbled or so you had to apply a little bit more, a little bit more deeper of a look at things. Um, and I think that's what <clears throat> I feel like that's what the training did. But at the same time, I feel like it was a lot of my upbringing, a lot of my general sense of, of what, where things were, you know, the respect I had for myself and the family had for me and the town had for me that that sort of stood me up in those first probably <clears throat> probably couple of years. 
And also it's that instinct, isn't it? It's that part of your brain that, that um, kicks in when it's under pressure. We don't know how we're going to respond until we're in a situation like that. And then it, very often it's learning afterwards. How did that happen? What did that happen? Um, so they, they do talk about certain people just going straight to a problem and other people stopping and thinking and other people running the other way. That You know, those three different types. And it's very often about how developed your brain is and how your brain responds to that kind of a danger. And clearly you were one who just ran at, towards the danger and said, oh, that's not right. I'm having you. And you're, you know, you're, you're going to be responsible for what you just did there. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and Stay in the Loop with Lucy. Welcome back. You're listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. Today we're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder with Ray Karam. In this section, Ray talks to us about how he used to unwind during that time and where he started to become aware that something was terribly wrong. Um, uh, well, you had to redo your coping skills with my coping skills like it was a family network, like it was a network of people around me. So it was just like, um, you know, you had your parents, obviously. Um, at that time, I had my sister at home. I had a lot of family in the town at Casino before I left. And so, you know, if there's anything I had and mates, and so you had a lot of long-standing relationships that, that it's almost like you didn't need to go to anyone. It just they came to you. Do you know what I mean? You'd have an international interaction where you'd be able to let go of things or or make sense of things. But it felt like um, once I got into the police, you could say, um, like logistically, I was, I was moved away, so it's hard to contact, you could say, or whatever. But it seemed like things changed. Like it was a, it was like a thing that said to me, people won't understand. You, you can't. And, and it was virtually said in the police, in the training, that your family's not going to understand this. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're not going to understand. And, and, and possibly you shouldn't share some of this with your with you your partners, you know, or your, your family, because some of the stuff you see isn't, you know, isn't, um, you know, it's pretty gross or it's, it's pretty horrific. So you're not going to want to share it with them because then they'll be impacted. And so you had a, it was like you, it set you up to be bottled up almost. It was like, do you know what I mean? There was, there was a thing about, oh, you need to talk through this and if you've got a problem, obviously there's psychologists, but then there was a perception that if you spoke to a psychologist that you were mad. And that you, you know, I do that and, and people think you're crazy and then you'll never get anywhere typing the police. And so they had the police psychologists and stuff like that around at that time. And there was, this, there was a branch, the psychology branch, the psychology branch and stuff like that. And you went, there's no way I'm going to tell them anything. Um, <clears throat> because if I get stereotyped as, as being mental, well, then I'm never, my career's over was, was what I took from, from how they spoke. Um, and so virtually in those first, you know, with those first few things, people would think it was funny. Like it was huge. It was a huge joke that I jumped out of the truck and didn't know where I was and running through. That's a great story. Like, well done type thing. And it was fairly jovial. And so you walk out of there and it's not until you get home and you sit down and you look around, you go, that was, did I did that just happen? Like, and, and that kept playing that just kept playing. And so it was like a, it was a disbelief. Um, in me um, because you could say there's a, that naivety there but it was almost like I didn't think really that sort of stuff happened I'd never seen anyone break into anything I'd, no one had, I'd, I don't think I'd ever 
heard about in town. I think I remember one growing up one person suicide and it was a huge shock for the town. Um, but that's how sheltered I was in that way. Um, I don't remember ever seeing anyone smash a window uh, as I was growing up, like out of any anger or anything. I didn't, didn't see that. Um, so it was, it was almost that shock. Um, and I say it was a shock. People think, oh, it's just a smash window or it's just – but it was just the – when you put everything in there, you know, you, you're in the police, you're in uniform, you don't see you're in uniform, you don't even see yourself as a police officer – then this happens, it's all that you're processing and you don't know where it fits and you don't know how it fits into your life. And so it sort of sits on a, a, in another part of your life and you go, well, I'll just put that there because I don't really understand it. And and you look at people and how it was dealt with in the police and how it was dealt like, like fun hardly and, and it didn't match. And so you went, well, that's another feeling that I don't feel matches and so I'll sit that there because I don't really know what to do with that either. Um, and then you just go in the next day. And so you've already got these, not that it's really like that, but you've got these two things sitting there that you don't really understand and they're sitting there and then something else will happen that day and it won't get dealt with. And so you go, well, I best just sit that with the other one because that's pretty similar. So that'll sit beside this one and then this can sit, you know, if someone else interacts with you in the police, like there's a lot of, even the training stuff, that they, the way they spoke to you like in the early days, they said you were, you know, you were a probationary constable. Your rank's lower than a police dog was what the, the terminology would be, and they'd joke about it. But you could actually get a sense of, you know, that feels like you mean it. And so that's not a, that's a mismatch as well. I'll just sit that here because I won't – I'm not going to talk to you about it. Like I'm not going to cause a confrontation because I'm only new and I don't want to be, you know, police word travels fast. I don't want to be the troublemaker or anything like that, so I'll sit that here. And so all of a sudden – you go on a couple of months and you've got all these things sitting in the air around you. You're going, well, that's not really dealt with, but that's okay. That's, you know, that's just this and that one was just this. And so then you just keep, like you had a backpack, you just, well, I'll put that in there. I'll do, I'll have to deal with that later, I guess. I don't know what's going to happen. Put that there and you just keep putting things in these backpacks. And and pretty soon for me, it was like, um, hang on, this is not, something's not right. This is not the job this is not the way I saw it happening. And so then, you know, something else would happen. And it was like um, a lot of people, it's, um, how do you always end up where you end up? Like, like you're saying that, that not fight or flight, I think you described it as some people assess and some people go in and some people go away. Uh, I was always one of those people that get a sense of something's not right. And I want to see what's not right about it. It was like more of an investigation. Um, and in that way, you'd always, pretty much always end up with the person you needed to end up with or you'd end up in the situation where you needed to be. Um, and sometimes you'd end up in a situation where you'd obviously um, have yourself isolated in a, in a way that wasn't great for yourself. But um, all these impacts end up just end up just carrying around. Um and I'd try and use sport, so I'd, I'd get into sport because that's what you know worked for me in, in casinos. You know, getting around groups of people um, with a commonality. It was was the drawing. It wasn't wasn't necessarily I want to run around um, exercise type thing. That was a part of it, but it was more a commonality with a group of people to 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 relate. So I'd have some understanding of, of what was going on. So, was there one incident that triggered? the the breakdown of that coping or that backpack just 
ripping open? There, there, there was, and again, it's funny. People would say it to you know. I remember um, you know speaking about different things over the years, and people go, "It was like a." The analogy, if most people might understand, is some people have a bad back, and then they can lift things, and they're doing all this hard stuff, and then they'll they'll bend down to pick up a piece of paper, and their back will go out, and they'll be off the flat on their feet, and they won't understand. They go, well, "I didn't, you know, I've just done all this heavy lifting." For years, and I go down to pick up a piece of paper, and all of a sudden my back's gone. Like the incident that happened that, that brought about the, the 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 breakdown wasn't that big and comparable to what had happened, but it was the as you said, it was the it was the, the, the final point where you get to where that you can't carry physically couldn't carry all that anymore, and and it, it had been coming for a while, and then when it hits. It, it hit so hard that that you know it still brings tears to my eyes now. It, it hit me that hard physically, but it had nothing it, nothing in it hit me. Does that make sense? And so, on the outside, if people were watching me the day before, they go, "That's a normal day. Raise looks fine. Nothing that really happened." And then the next day, you know, you've been run over by something, and they they couldn't understand that, but you. You know, you had a, an understanding that something had, had impacted for such a great time and you'd carried it for such a great time that this was just the final straw. The coping mechanism that did work clearly stopped working when it all fell apart. Um, how did you look after yourself after that? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the coping of Lorena stuff was alcohol in the early 90s for us was going have a drink, you know, go to the pub. After anything that happened, we'd all get together, go to the pub, and, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd drink. And so that was the, the coping, and, and that, you know, that was how we bonded was the, the call, you know, keep it in close, keep it tight, um, you know, keep it in amongst us and we can sort this out together type thing. Um, and anything from outside wasn't, wasn't received well. And you could say, oh, you're not, you're not accepting of people coming in, but, the way a lot of the psychologists or the police welfare or any of that kind of came to you, it was, you could feel it. It was like seeing a crook. Do you know what I mean? You're trained, very fine-tunedly trained to see when something's not the truth or not right. And when someone walks into the station, you go, you're a phony, you're a fraud. You're not here for me. You're here to mark it, mark it off that you've done it or, you know, you're here to get us all to talk and, 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 and then – there's no way in front of your peers at that point that you you stand out. So it was a thing of you all look at each other. Well, I'm not talking about it. If you're not talking, I'm not talking. Oh, we'll just give them something. And so then something superficially be said. It didn't, you know, you'd tick the box. And so then we go to the pub and and have a drink and laugh about it. And a lot of times you'd take the pub over, so the pub would close. You'd be still inside uh, drinking, um, and then you'd, you'd get yourself home in the in the days after feel atrocious, um, wake up, go, well, at least I'm not feeling as bad as I was when I was hungover. Um, and then you go, well, you know, you pull your uniform on and you know, I'm back on shift on Tuesday. And so you go and I do go and do some training. Um, at that point I was, I was, you know, over the years I, I started when I was about 72 kilos. I started the police at 72 kilos. Um, 13 years later I was 98 kilos um so there's 
you know, he's a fair, I'm, I'm about six, six one, six foot one. So I was, you know, big frame. I had doing a lot of weights. So I was a big, you know, uh, fairly big man at that point. Um, so the, another thing was, was, you know, the training. Sometimes you couldn't sleep. A lot of the time you couldn't sleep. And so I'd get out and run. I'd just run until I was exhausted and then you'd sleep um, and you'd get up and, and repeat the whole cycle again. It became just a became a thing where I thought that was life. I thought this is how it is. This is how it's going to be. Um, and the police was good for the diversity. And so, you know, if you have general duties, go and do something else. That the change would be a good. You know, the change change is good as a holiday they say. And so you change. And so I'd always gravitate back to general duties, but I'd do a change. I might do, um, you know field intel where you wear some plain clothes you might do detectives for a while to wear some plain clothes to have a different perspective but it was always the same it's just a different you know had a different um i don't know a different level you'd come in at or a different perception of it um give you a different angle on the same thing um but you were you were carrying these things and so um when that finally i always had a sense i didn't wasn't a big fan of drinking alcohol, even though I did it, and I, I did it well, you could say, like I was a big drinker. But I always had a, a thing of, you know, tell my mates one day I'm not going to have this, I'm not going to drink, and they'd, they'd end up believing me. And so I'd transferred out um, to Kyogle, a small country town back up here near my hometown. Um, and so I was up here and it got to a point where you, you're alone a lot up here a lot more and whereas in the city there's always someone to do something with so you're more your time was taking up so you weren't you know you weren't left alone so that was good you know you thought well at least I haven't got time to sit and think was the thing but when you came up to Kyogre there was a lot of time to sit and so I remember one morning I was I was on the phone at the back of the police station um you know just gone next door because I was living as a lockup keeper so that my house was joined to the police station at Kyogre and I was having a few beers, and it was it was like five thirty in the morning. Um, and I, I sat out in the back and by myself, and I went, "What are you doing? Like, what is this? Like, how? Where does where do you go from from here? Like, where? What's next? Because you know, if if I was having to cope with drinking that early in the morning, I went, I just felt like it was chasing me everywhere. This this, this had to stop. I had to stop." This had to stop because I didn't know what it next, and I knew that was already to me. I was like, you're outside your body. You went, dude, that looks bad. Look, this is really bad. Imagine that—an accumulation of incidents that lead to the moment you're sitting on your deck and you realise that you're somewhere you did not want to be, and perhaps never thought you would be. After the break, Ray shares how much more honesty needed to be before things got better. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and Stay in the Loop with Lucy. Welcome back. You're listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. Today, we are talking about post-traumatic stress disorder with Ray Karam. In this section, we pick up where Ray's sitting on his veranda, realising just how bad it's got, and then talking about a particular incident that marked him. Looking back, he can see that that moment changed his approach to people and to life. You know, this is really, really bad. And so, um, firstly, from that point to stop, start to stop drinking or try and go, something's wrong when I'm drinking this early. 
um, and, I'm, and I'm in the town. Like it, I always had a, a thing of coming back up into a small country town. My my dream, if you could say, or my my picture was to was be a country police officer and didn't work in the city. I wanted to you know get in where there was people knew me and I knew them. I figured that was it. That's what's missing. I, I needed that real connection to 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 knowing people that way and that would make everything better in the police but it it it, it didn't it, it, it gave it a, a break for a short time but then <clears throat> it was like sydney followed you um everything came with you. You, you i had a perception of legal that in redfern but you know i was in redfern for um started in city central and then went to redfern for a decade um i thought that'll all stay in redfern redfern's redfern and now this is Kyogre, but you know, you're in Kyogre for a few few weeks and all of a sudden Redfern was in Kyogre going, that can't be possible, we can't follow me here, how can it find me here? And it was like you, I actually thought I could move away from it and then, you know, same with exercise, I thought I could run away from it and same with alcohol, I thought I could drown it. But it, it never worked, it, it, it always came back and I went, what is, what's next? How? What else can I do to get rid of this? And it was the thoughts and the, the flashbacks and the, 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 all this talk that was going on inside your head, you talk to people and you try and listen to them, but there was always an internal dialogue um, for yourself. And you'd always see when things had happened, you were so heightened that, you know, um, I remember in Kyogre, I'm not sure if I'm getting off topic, you'd stop me, Lucy, if I am, but I remember in Kyogre, a lady, um, she did a U-turn over double white lines in Kyogre, so it's in a country town, almost uh, with respect, not who cares, but it wasn't that dangerous, it was it was what it was. And I got out of the car and, and you know, lights and sirens and everything and pulled her up and boom, launched into her, how dare you, boom, and she just looked at me in shock. And when I looked at her in shock, it shocked me, because I went, I've just said something and this lady's in shock from me just talking to her. Like I wasn't swearing at her, I wasn't screaming at her. But she was generally, that was intense. And I, it sort of took me back and I apologised and she settled and then I was able to explain to her what I meant. And she understood um, and, and, and I let her go. Um, but I went back to the truck and I went, who have you become? Like, who, who was that? Like, like, put this in reality, right? That lady was just doing this and it, it didn't make sense. Uh, you know, it didn't go, went, well, that's not me. I'm not like that. And it was almost like you were apologetic to her and, and it wasn't that you didn't want her to make a complaint. Uh, I didn't want to hurt. You didn't want to hurt people. It wasn't what you were there for. The police was the, the complete opposite of that. You're there to protect people. And here I am just with my voice. You know, said you could genuinely see the shock. And that was the level of sensitivity you're at, that you were seeing. I was seeing everything like that. I was seeing, you were seeing, you could say, the worst in, in people, but you were also seeing what you were capable of with just your voice. And so I went, there's, there's an imbalance. I don't know what it is, but I know something's not right. And I was, at that point, also having a lot of suicidal stuff. So a lot of, um, to get a relief from it was almost like, the, it was not almost like, it was to kill yourself. I went, look, this will stop it. I'll just kill, I'll kill myself. Um, and that was horrific for my, my family. My, my mum would hear it a lot because um, I'd ring her. That was my only felt go-to, mum's safe. You know, I can, I can talk to her. She's the rock. And so I'd share it to my mum and, you know, she she speaks about it now and, and obviously she was very, very fearful at, at, through that period um, of my life. But I didn't 
it's funny, it's not that I didn't take it seriously. I knew that I was serious, but at the same time, it was like because I told someone, it gave a relief of the pressure. And so then it gave me a few days grace and then it would build up again and it would be there again and it would get intense again. Um, and, and so when I got to Kyogre, it was, it was like I was fearful that I'd played the scenario of how I would kill myself so many times over my head that actually I thought it automatically uh, one day I'm going to do it. Like one day I'm just going to, Ray, you've got to be careful because it was almost like you're trying to protect yourself from yourself because there's a part of you that wants to kill you. And do you know what I mean? You're, you're playing it over in your head. It was like such a, a normal part of my life um, that I was going to kill myself in my head. It was just a normal part. I didn't often speak it outwards. I would never, never say it to anyone in the police. Um, but it was, it was happening. Like it was, it was just happening. And so um, it was, I, I always perceived that I was going to shoot myself in the head with my gun. And so every time I load my gun, I'd, I'd shake, I'd go, careful, it goes in the holster, it goes in the holster. You know, when you load it, you'd be, I have to be very, very careful that it didn't just go into some random uh, action that was not random for me in my head and, and actually kill myself. And at what point did you actually get some help for this or did you not until you left? I didn't really get, truly get help until after I'd been sort of out, I guess. I got help over the years where I'd seen psychologists at different points. Um, and, and you'd never sort of go back to the same one. But you wouldn't open up. I was so, so fearful and so locked that um, I didn't even know. And, and I didn't feel like they knew what to do. Um, they'd talk to me, so it was talk. And that would give you relief. Like I said, saying, you know, kill yourself to your mum. It would give you some sort of break. And so you thought that it was working. And so you go every two weeks and you see the psychologist. And it got to a point where they go, okay, virtually you'd sit there and have you got anything to speak about? And I remember in, um, in Kyogre once I'd, I'd called it and had to, I needed some time. Um, in, in late 2004, early 2005, um, that I'd, I'd gone to see a psychologist and she was supporting, supporting me to chat about things. Um, but it just kept, it felt like a revolving door. Like it felt like I wasn't, I didn't feel better. I, I felt like I understood some things went on and they were really bad and this is why this is happening. I got that sort of part if I can keep it that simple. Um, and, and that talking about it helps was what the thing was. You need to talk through these things and know that they're always going to be there. Learn to deal with them. You know, you've got to learn to where they fit in your life. And I went, okay, I've just got to learn how when that person jumped off that building and I had to pick them up um, and scrape them off the pavement, how that fits in my life. I've got to, you know, how that fits in with family and kids. I've just got to learn where that fits. And it just never fitted. Like, that doesn't fit in your life. How, how, I couldn't fit that. Wasn't, I couldn't fit that. And there's a lot of those things where I went, I can't see this fitting. I just have to learn to, and a lot of people went, um, and including the psychologist, you learn to live with it. You learn to, you learn to deal with it and live with it. It'll learn, you learn to cope with it in your life sort of type thing. I don't know if that was their exact words, but that was the, the, that's what I've got from them, that some things will never heal. You'll never heal these things. That's what post-traumatic stress is. It's just you'll learn to cope. Um, and so that was what it was. I just went, well, okay, I feel like that one I've learned to cope with. 
um, you know, chasing that guy in that car and, you know, hitting those seven other cars and it catching on fire and you can't get him out and he burns, to, he, he burns a lot. Um, you learn to cope with that. And I, I've sort of learned to cope with that. But then next time you smell a fire, next time you see a car going fast, why am I seeing it again? Why am I thinking back to that? What was it there? You learn to cope with that. So, okay, you recognize it, identify it. That's not real. That was back then. You go through these processes, but it never left you. It was always alive in you, in me, um, and I'm sure for, possibly for other people. These, these incidents just never left. They were just so alive in you that it was ridiculous how you lived them, relived them. And then people, like they call it flashbacks. The thing wasn't a flashback. It was there. Do you know what I mean? It was, it, it, it was, it was real. And flashback, you know, for me says, you know, you're having a memory of an incident. I could detail you. Uh, I could still detail. And, and everything that happened in a lot of these incidences, the, the smells, what I was thinking, what I did afterwards, it, it was, it's, it's still alive in that way. Um, and, and it's very real for, it was very real for me and very real for people uh, like that. You had an incident where you were actually beaten up as well, weren't you? So it became very physical, not just emotional. Yeah, that, that, um, those sort of things, yeah, they've got a difference psychologically what, they did, what that did to me. Um, physically, I healed. Um, still wear the scars on my face, but... Um, psychologically, that dent that, that puts a big dent in 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 um, in how I acted. And my girlfriend at the time, who was my girlfriend growing up, oh, not growing up, but girlfriend in casino, um, she, she told me one incident in particular changed me overnight. She said you were different coming home. And uh, there's a vid- there's a video of it, and so it was on the news the the, the aftermath. And I remember looking at my eyes in the video and I can see how things have changed. You know, you can see that the disbelief, um, the complete and utter disbelief that someone could do that. I couldn't believe that someone could do that to me. Mm. Um, you know, there were even a group of people that had been around for so long, um, well, not for so long, it was only probably 12 or 18 months I'd been actually in the police, but, um, you know, that the, the, the people would actually do that. Uh, you know, you, you, I took it very personal and, in that way, um, and so yeah, it, it, I shut down. It, it shut me down. It, it, it hit me that hard physically, obviously as well, but because um, it hit me in the, I got hit with a half a brick in the face, and so it you know smashed my jaw up, smashed my teeth, and um, it, it you know I thought it actually knocked my jaw off. I, I went, I reached down around my waist to pick my jaw up. It hit me that hard, mm-hmm. and so then, but as I said, that sits that psychologically it did a lot more it 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 changed it changed outwardly how you looked at the world it changed outwardly how i looked at everything and you know i I was very frightened you know that that scared me um such a whack like that and and then how it was dealt with the the police the boss didn't ever came to the the hospital you know everyone was talking about oh you get a huge payout now it wasn't dealt with. It was not dealt with. You know, uh, you know how they deal with it. Do they still deal with it any better? I'm not sure. I see from my mates now in the police that it hasn't moved anywhere to me. Um, it just wasn't dealt with. It wasn't dealt with at all. Um, well, so 
the talk about what you're going to get, but everyone seems to know they're trying to make you feel better. The fact that your boss doesn't even turn up to you in hospital, well, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and Stay in the Loop with Lucy. Welcome back. You're listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. Today we're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder with Ray Karam. At some point, you have to say no to the abuse and to the trauma. I asked Ray at what point he decided it was time to leave the police force. I had to. It was self-preservation. So I couldn't. It got to a day where I just couldn't get up. So I couldn't physically move into the police station. Um, part of me wanted to. Part of me wanted to get stay and go, go back in. There's a bigger part of me that just physically couldn't move. I, I can't do it. Um, there was an incident that, that I left on that, you know, a lady got hit by a, a concrete truck and I was I ended up driving the ambulance. She passed away in the ambulance and then I dealt with her family afterwards. Um, who, who the, the gentleman that hit her in the truck, his wife I knew from school. Um, and so we were talking and I was telling her everything that he would he would go through and how to support him and, and my words were echoing back to me uh, and, and virtually what I was saying to her was was hitting me back and going how much stuff, you, you know this because you're in it, do you know what I mean? You know the detail of this and how to support someone because you're you're in that, you're right here and, and it was like a, um, it was like that one instance that I talked, it wasn't that, to me at that point, even though for most people I suppose, not I suppose, most people seeing someone dead is, is a huge thing. Um, to see someone hit by a truck and then drive them in the ambulance while they're trying to resuscitate and all that sort of stuff and then dealing with the family afterwards and all that sort of stuff is on your own because, you you know, there wasn't many police at Kyogre at that time. You're dealing with it on your own. Um, that that was a huge, but for me that was minor. I went, this is just a little thing, mm. you know. This is not even, and that's what I said to you even at the start of this, it was a little thing that, the straw that finally broke the camel's back is the same, but it was a little thing to me then, even though now when I'm talking about it, I go, that's massive. Yeah. Um, that was comparable to a little thing. So I just couldn't, after that point, I, I went, I, I, at first I thought I need a break. I, I just, if I get a few months, I just need a break. And you know, that's all I need. If I get a few, you know, if I get a few months, I'll, I'll get this together. It'll be fine. But it, it just kept, um, yeah, it just kept getting worse. It just kept, kept getting worse. So, Ray, where did the healing start? Um, the, the healing, that was the start of the healing. And the fact is that... Yeah, the end of the start. Exactly. I recognised that, um, not that I had to talk through things, but I recognised that, that something was going on and something was playing out that I didn't feel I was in control of while at the same time I knew, deep down I knew it wasn't me. I, I knew that, you know, I, I grew up and how I was when I was younger. Was a, I was very vital, very full of life in, in a way when I was, I'm talking little, you know, when I was, nothing was a problem, everything was fun. And I got to a man where I, it, it, everything was a drag and so I, I had a sense in my body that, this is not how it's meant to be. And I feel like that awareness to go, this is not how it's meant to be. Well, then something has to change if that's the case. And so then 
you know, I started to take steps to change and nothing, uh, I didn't feel of anything about how the police spoke to me was about that change. It didn't support that change. What it supported was you're either in or out. What are you going to do? You're either coming back or you're going. You, you can't, you know, you, you can't have it both ways. And all I wanted was time. I need time. I need time to sit and, and see where this sits. Um, but it wasn't until, um, you know, I, I started to feel like they were pushing me out, like not they as a person, but the system was saying to me, you know, you've got to use by date. Um, and, and then by that time, a lot of people didn't talk to you. So it felt like everyone, uh, and, and now I can see that it wasn't personal to me. It wasn't, look, we don't talk to Ray, he's an idiot. It was almost like that was a shock for me to go. Um, it's like you were holding things, not only holding yourself, but you're holding a lot of other people in in something. And the moment I decided that enough was enough, um, not aggressively, but just to say I can't do this like this, it gave almost gave permission for other people. And I think about at that point I, I, I started to make, well, I didn't know it was a move out as a police. I, I very much wasn't leaving. Um, I, I feel like I got pushed out. Um, not pushed out where I didn't have a choice, but the weight of, of you know, you, you've seen a police doctor and you go, this is what's happening. They want to know what's happening. You're not at work. What are, you, what are your thoughts? And so I started to, to let them know, this is what I'm thinking. This is what's going on. And they go, oh, really? Okay. And so then you come out and you go and see another doctor. that had their report from the other doctor. And so then they just build on that. And so... All of a sudden, you get a few visits down uh, in the in the police medical doctors, and I remember quite clearly reading this report. He goes, a "Doctor handed it to me. I was in Sydney. I had to go from Kyogre to Sydney. Went by myself. Um, he, he went to the PMO. He goes, read this read this report and see what you think.' And so I'm reading it, and going, "Wow, this guy sounds really bad." This, this, this guy sounds really bad. I didn't say anything. And he goes, so what do you think? I said, well, that guy sounds really bad. And he goes, looked at me, he goes, what do you mean that guy? He goes, that's you. And that that was like another one of those shocks where you, you know, after I remember walking out back into the street and everything started spinning because I didn't have a, it's strange to say it, but I didn't have a perception of, of how bad things were. I just thought it was normal. And when you saw it written down and, and he didn't know it was you, you read it and you thought, that guy's super sick, you know, he, I hope he's all right type thing, and you, you're very external with it. And when it was brought back to me that that was me, everything I read, you know, probably shouldn't have been walking around. Do you know what I mean? It was, it, 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 to me, it was horrific reading it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that was me. That was my life. And so I went, um, you know, that was the, the point I, I needed to, at that point, find something that, that, that supported me to make sense of what was going on. And I felt like the psychology thing with respect, there's some great psychologists out there. Um, the, the psychology model just kept putting me back on the same merry-go-round. I just felt like I was going around in circles. And it, um, not to compare it like that, but it, 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 my thought was, to be honest, I was raised in a Catholic upbringing you had to go to confession and I'm not sure people can relate but you go to confession and you'd have to make something up because I didn't know what to say 
and it became like that for my psychologist. Over time, I went, oh, geez, what am I going to talk about today? Oh, this, this will be good. I'll talk about that. And so you talk about that. Okay, done, because I've got to keep talking. We've got to talk these things out. And it just the, the talking wasn't enough. Um, and so it had to be, like you said, um, things had been very physical. Um, you know, at that point, it had to be more tangibly physical to me. I, I had to make real sense of what was actually going on. Um, because, you know, at that point, like I knew things were changing, but I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared to leave the police. It was a safety net, even though I couldn't work in it anymore. It was, you know, you'd known that for 13 years or so. And, um, that was my, you know, in a way, a lot of the people had done things with from, for those 13 years were all in the police. So, um, it was like, it was going to be a, a shock to get out of the police, um, and then you're dealing with the pressure of the perception of the town as well. You're in a small country town and what's going on? That cop is off sick. And so I'd walk around it. You, know, you, you train at nights in the town and if you needed shopping and, and stuff, you'd do it at night or you'd get your parents to do it or you know, one of your mates that you knew from back to do something for you. I was housebound virtually. And at that point, I'd had my license um, taken off me as well because they thought I had epilepsy. Um, because I couldn't hold a conversation. I'd, I'd blank out um, during conversations and stuff, and they did ECGs, I think they're called, and MRIs, and because I had a head injury, that, you know, there was all uh, sorts of, of, of schooling around, um, you know, you've got this this you know, and they need to take this medication, so I was on medications as well. And, um, and so, that, that again, that got to a point where you get to a point where you go, is this, is this it? Like, is this really... Is this the healing? I don't I feel what like in some cases I feel worse. Like I feel, you know, at that time I was a hermit virtually. Um, you know, wake up, get have, have something to eat, watch a bit of TV, feel really tired again, go back to bed, wake up, have something to eat, watch a bit of TV, feel super tired again, go back to bed, and they go, that's normal. You know, you, you you'll you'll come out of that. I didn't see myself coming out of it. I mean, this is, I'm just going deeper down a hole here. Um, and it, it wasn't until, uh, wasn't until I got a different psychologist and I can't even remember how I come across her. Um, but she brought back something to me and not to say, um, you know, she listened and we talked, but she also gave me a sense of, do this for yourself you know, you've got to make some you've got to actually move yourself out of this you can't just keep talking you, you can't just keep going around in circles here this to get out of the circle you have to step out of the circle you just can't keep riding it you know um and so she started to stand me back up you know gradually in that way and that's how i say stand me back up because um i needed someone to stand me up i needed someone to not be hard with me, not smack me around and say, wake up to yourself. I don't mean that. I needed someone to care enough to listen to me and go, that is horrific, that what you've gone through is unspeakable. But at the same time, what's going on now? How how can you see your life going forward? What's what's going to be next for you? You know, where, where, where do these memories sit? Why did you find yourself in those situations? Why Ray Karen? Why at that point in your life, 
and got me to start to read back of, of was there anything before that? What were you feeling before that? What was what was going on? Because there was always you know, there's always a feeling before things happened. There's always a, a sense of I knew what was unfolding before it unfolded almost. Um, and to have someone touch me back deep into that, it was almost like I found myself again. I went, that, I, I can own that. I did feel that. I was in control there, to say it loosely, not control sensibly, but I, I, I tangibly remembered thinking that and having that feeling. And then that, 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 that happened. And then I went there. It was like she backtracked and allowed me to backtrack. And I could see where, not where I went wrong, but if I did it again, I should step left and then I wouldn't get hit instead of stepping right. It just got a sense of it didn't, I didn't just arrive at a point and got hit. And then it was a shock because, well, I've just arrived here and this has happened. I got to see back before that the steps that had taken, not that I was taking all the blame for getting myself hit like that, mm. but I knew I made choices that then put me in a situation that then that happened. And that those individuals have got their part in whatever happened. I'm not saying I'm owning all that. That's still horrific, and and I'm, you know that's me. That is a crime, and, and and no way, shape, or form do I support that sort of rubbish. But I'm saying, as a police officer, as a person, as a man, I made choices as well that run parallel to to that. Um, and and when I could see that, that was actually. And people might hear that and go, oh, that's a lot to take on. But I was there. Uh, I was in it. I'm out of it. And the only way I got out of it was to have a look at what I did in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and I sort of feel if you'd had that um, awareness when you'd gone in, you might have taken less on, you know, that swim like a fish in the water but don't get wet, that it's um, another person I've spoken to spoken about the debrief that if if you could have made sense of it at the time at the end of a shift at the end of the two-week cycle it would have um, given you the uh, skills to be able to leave it where it was um, as opposed to carrying it in the backpack you're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy after the break we're going to hear a little bit more from Ray about having group work can and can't work and also where he's gone from here welcome back you're listening to stay in the loop with lucy on triple h 100.1 fm today we've been talking about post-traumatic stress disorder with ray karam ray has shared an awful lot about his life so far and in this final section ray shares some insights on how practitioners can support those with post-traumatic stress how it's not a mental construct but a connection to what the person in front of you has experienced, supporting them to find a way to reconnect back into their lives. Um, but what where it, where it errs is the, 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 the person holding that space, I don't feel, has, has the capacity and the awareness of what actually is going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that they have to leave it. I don't mean they have to go and get whacked and have post-traumatic stress to talk to someone with post-traumatic stress. But what you need to, to, to know and get a sense of is, is, is that you're not applying something you've learned as a, as a framework because it's just so you've studied a 1,000 people, 
with post-traumatic stress, if you try and apply a medium, well, this is where the, the framework should sit, this is what we should teach, this is how we should, well, then that already steps out and misses the person. So the person you're speaking to, you've already left them. You, you, you already haven't seen them because you, you're applying something that's, that's a, an average, if you want to say, or a, or, or a gathering, a, a study, and you're trying to apply it to a person. It, it's, it's not that post-traumatic stress is, is, is individual and it's all different. There is some similarities. But what's first and foremost is that if you're not seeing that there's a person in front of you or there's people or a group of people and actually having some sort of awareness and understanding of what they just went through, then the steps you take with them will impact them further. And so it's almost like there's, it's got to be a first part, it's got to be a real holding to go to acknowledge that. And, and, and if someone wrote this down, it wouldn't work. You, you can't apply it. It has to, it has to be something you know, that, that the psychologist I saw, Caroline, um, she was living that. She, she, was, she was moving to me, not applying a teaching. She had the psychologist framework, absolutely. She was very, you know, um, fully accredited and, and, and doing that part, but she was also applying this other bit, which to me was the, 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 the two coming together, and that was to say, this is Ray. That's, you know, I don't want to know his upbringing from the fact is if he had childhood stuff, that means this happened and this happened because I remember reading that. It, it's like they walk you back through your life with you in your life. They're, they're right there. It's not, um, it's not a sympathy. It's not a, a, a personal thing, but it's just, I don't know how to describe it. It, 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 it more holds you to, 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 to keep recognising what was going on was both a, a really horrific thing but also giving you almost like a living framework to walk out of it if you want. Um, you know, it's not a thing to say you need to do this otherwise you're going to die. It was, okay, I'm here for as long as you want to be here. I'll walk you back out of this. If you want to walk out of it, if you want to stay there, I'm going to challenge you, um, not dare you, not say come out or anything like that, but just challenge you with what I say to you and how I say it for you to open up more to see what's actually happened, for you to see what's happened. I'm not going to show you what's happened. You already know it. You've already seen it. You already know where it fits. I'm just going to clear a little bit of this other stuff that's been shown to you out of the way so you can see that actually where it fits, um, you know. Um, so, yeah, I felt like it, it's it's a very, um, what can I say, how can I say it? It's... I don't know, it's a very detailed way to deal with someone in that way, but it's a very, you know, it's obviously very caring because it, it supported me to be back to 72 kilos. And it's not a weight thing, but I mean, I'm not carrying that literally, you know, carrying that 25 kilos, which was that backpack. Yeah. You know, emotionally, I'm not carrying it. Absolutely. And um, Ray, tell us about the man you are today. Yeah, you've heard, you've heard a lot about the arrest. Well, I'm, I'm, I do a lot in that way as a man I am today. It's not that um, it's not that I really feel I'm any different, to be honest. I, I don't see uh, I see a difference physically. There's a, a massive difference. I'm, I'm probably you know, fitter than I've ever been in my life, um, and not from training hard and not from running. Uh, I don't run. I, I walk. I'm very careful with what I do with myself. I'm very um, I'm very gentle with myself, you could say. Um, it's not that I grab myself in cotton wool. I'm very physically in the world. I, I, I work 
um, you know, work a fair few hours a week. I've got a number of businesses that I'm involved in. Um, I'm in the community a lot. I'm very much a community-dedicated chamber of commerce business-wise, um, you know, Rotary, those sort of community groups um, I'm involved in. I've got a, a loving family. I've got five children um, that I, I take uh, I take a great, great joy in seeing every morning and, and every every night um, and all through the day. Um, beautiful wife. Uh, I've got a beautiful ex-wife as well. Um, so my life has, I could say, changed dramatically when I compare it to the police. But my life has come back full circle to me to I'm actually living what I felt and who I thought I was. Um, when I was younger, I felt like I was, I was always hugely caring. I was always a very sensitive, you know, young man. I loved talking to people. I loved caring. I loved seeing people um, on a daily basis, no matter what it is. I loved helping, supporting people. Uh, I loved doing a lot in the in the community. And so I feel like full circle through the police, out of the police. Um, and back into to, to life in a way, you know, I feel like I've, I've, I've come around a full circle and now I'm getting a chance to, to walk my steps and how I want to see the world going forward. Um, you know, it's, it's not a pipe dream. Um, I wish the world was a better place. It's, it's a moment-by-moment moment decision, like I said, with walking out of post-traumatic stress, a moment-by-moment moment moment choice for me to, to not make myself better. Um, to, to, to connect back in and, and realise that I'm I am I am here I, I am what I am um, and it's real and it's true and, and live live that out um, so yeah I feel like everything I do everything I touch is important everything you know every movement's important um, not that I'm afraid of going back down a hole but I know that the way I move and the way I go about things uh, is that quality is, is, is everything and that's what supports um, that's what supports me day to day to wake up at you know early hours you know before this interview I've been to the gym you know, that's my morning I love to get to walk on the treadmill and do some weights just to wake my body up and and stretch and, and feel you know feel a sense of, of feeling myself feeling my body um, and then like I said in the police I always you know in growing up I always had a sense always felt things, always knew uh, different things. That's why in the police, you know, was, they called me a, uh, pardon it, pardon it, but a shit magnet. Do you know what I mean? I'll always be in the middle of it. Ray, you're always, how are you always there? How do you always drive upon these things? Because you felt it. You knew something was up. Um, and if I can digress, you know, most of the people you spoke to victim-wise, they would always touch on, I knew not to walk down there. I knew there was something wrong. I knew before it happened, we all have a sense of not when things go bad, we've got that sense, but we've got a sense that we know we can feel things before it actually physically happens. And so what I do now is I'm just deeper in that sense of feeling in that way. It's not that I control what happens next, but I know that if I keep feeling that place, so I keep settled and, 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 and back in that feeling place, then whatever happens next, I walk in the, in inverted commas, right direction. You know, I'm, it's like I am in control of it because I'm, I'm aware of and get a sense of what I'm feeling. 
Thank you so much, Ray. You have left us with much to consider and I believe that you've offered steps for other people who perhaps um, have experienced this themselves to consider a way for them to get through it as well. So I will make links to your blogs and um, if if there's another way of getting in contact with you or other people would like to, then please let me know. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's all right. Well, I've got a website. Um, not that people need to go on it, but if they want to contact me or get in contact, I'm very, very open to people chatting, and I appreciate you know getting the chance to chat with you today as well. I love what Ray shared there. Someone walking beside you, a living framework of support for you to see what has happened, clearing the debris out of the way so you can see where everything you've experienced fits in. It's interesting, isn't it, how different the strategies taken by Simon and Ray are. Yet, clearly, there's no one-size-fits-all for post-traumatic stress disorder, but both parties are doing well, and I thank them so much for sharing their experiences with us in order to support others. Come to the end of our show now, so remember, regardless of age, what has always happening to you in your life, you are and always will be amazing. The key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body so you can trust when your body is trying to tell you something's not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate support service, be that mental or physical health. In the case of trauma, seek it early because as we've discovered, to add to your backpack doesn't make it easier in the long run. Look for support in the community. It is there. Now, the podcast for today's show will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud. And if you want to get updates, then please remember to like the Stay in the Loop with Lucy Facebook page. Links to all of those spaces are on the Triple H homepage. Till next week's show, remember to take a moment to look after you, to connect with the amazing people in our community. Be kind, be caring, be loved, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.